So what, like, what are you comfortable with talking about? I'm open book, but I think in order to be as open as maybe it would be beneficial for me, for you, for the listeners, uh, basically to do it anonymously and okay. hope that not that many people recognize my voice. Sure. Can we, um, do you want us to call you like John Doe here? <laughs> I mean, like, could we come up with a joke, name? Kind of serious. Could we come yeah, up so with long that? as it's funny. Okay. We will call you Raymond Arroyo. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gomer, I got so our buddy JD Flynn, who's on our other podcast, uh, uh, what is Pope Francis saying now? He sent us a Facebook message saying, guys, Raymond Arroyo was pissed off at you. And I was like, ha, 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 oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. And then he was just kidding. But I was really nervous about that. Anyways, that was kind of funny in my head. Go on. Think of a maybe like a pious Catholic name. It's a good, what's a good pious Catholic name? That guy that you never would think had any issues. Saint, oh, so pious Saint when he prayed. Dolph Lundgren. No, no, no. Oh gosh, what's the only Simpsons joke where he's like uh, Joey Shemsmoe or something? He says some like horrible last name. He goes, "That's the worst last name I've ever uh, heard." Joey and Jojo he, Shabadoo Junior. Yeah, <laughs> that was actually a Joey character. Jojo. I was actually a character I would play in a skit every year for my confirmation retreats. I was Joey Jojo Shabadoo, and it's like, that's the worst name I've ever heard. And then a guy runs out of the bar screaming, and then Barney goes, Joey Jojo, come back. <laughs> oh, I need your advice. Yeah. See, I got this friend named Joey Jojo Jr. Shabadoo. That's the worst name I ever heard. Oh, no. Hey, Joey Jojo. <laughs> I guess I, I guess I will be Joe tonight. Okay, all right. Uh, also, if I if I get too excited, if I talk too fast, just interrupt me and tell me to slow the heck down. Nope, 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 nope. Not going to do any of that. <laughs> um, people tend to talk slower in in mics and stuff, so it's better if it's faster. <laughs> okay, true, it's true. So, how do we want to begin this? Do we just want to dive in? Yes, yeah, spiritually, spiritually. All right, we're here with Joey Jojo Shabadoo, an alias name that we've <laughs> created uh, from The Simpsons. Uh, we're interviewing uh, a longtime listener of the show. I don't know how long have you been listening to Catching Foxes. Uh, I guess does long time mean about three months? I, yes, I, I kind of just for dove in. Yes. Just, I binged. I'm a binge long time listener. Nice. Everyone is. Thank you, to everyone. Thank you to all of. Our bingers, you are the true Catching Foxes heroes. Yeah. You are the foxes that we are trying to catch. I don't know how that works. So have you listened to every episode? Are you caught up? Uh, I'm, I'm caught up now, but I'm probably maybe 60%. Cool. I haven't had, I haven't had as many road trips lately, so <laughs> my work commutes down to 15 minutes, so that's about three jokes, and, and then I'm at work. So. Three, three right. inside jokes on Fran, about Francis. <laughs> so here's why I always ask our listeners who reach out to us. Who's your favorite? Oh man! Say my name, say my name. If you when ain't no acting shady, girls say, "Baby, I love you." Why the sudden change? That's hard, guys. Bring the I, 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 is it is it a confession to say that I imagine myself in a group hug between the two of you? Yes, that's, that's fine. fine. It's a sandwich. It's a Gomer Luke sandwich, and I, I, I'm being accepted and made fun of right in the middle of it. You'd be surprised at the amount of people that have experienced that. Yeah, yeah, really. That's that's exciting. I actually talked to one of your uh, one of your old Steubenville friends uh, in my hometown, which I will not say the name, lest I give away my identity. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, mm. she, she mm. spoke well. Of Oh. Uh, actually, uh, Gomer came up to her when she was just a feeble freshman at Steubenville. Please drink. And uh, I will. Yeah, she was quite inspired by you just talking your head off and making her feel welcome. <laughs> oh, look at that. I am what, magical. What that really was was just him going, love me, love me, give me your attention. <laughs> I am so desperate for a woman to look at me with eyes of approval. <laughs> This is exactly why we're even doing this podcast. All right. So anyways, uh, enough about us. Tell us about you. So I, uh, I've been involved in church, in ministry, uh, loved, loved my faith, loved my Catholic faith ever since middle school. I was that kid that was always involved in the youth group. Uh, I, I did a year of mission work. I was in seminary for a little while. I've worked in ministry my entire life. I absolutely love the church. I am discerning the call to celibacy, potentially priesthood, potentially religious life. And I was always a leader, uh, but that's you know the first half of the story. And then the second half was just a total life of struggle, addiction, 
family issues, a lot of interior drama, and uh, felt for so long that those two lives were just completely separate. And that if anybody ever found out, if anybody ever knew that that thing that kind of plagues us all when we're trying to be pious, when we're trying to be holy. And uh, so in the last couple of years, really just gone through a lot of healing um, and just getting my story out, getting rid of the shame and feel like what I desire to do for others, especially in church, especially in leadership, is to tell my story and to let people be in freedom. Can you be a bit more specific about like what your struggles were? Yeah, let's dive right in. Um, so probably as early as I can remember, maybe age five, six, seven, I had uh, same-sex attraction. I was bisexual. I dated in high school, dated in college, uh, but even when I was growing up, it, it was pretty intense uh, to a lot of the, the boys my age. And then add on to that, uh, addictive, you know, sexual uh, impurities, lust, masturbation, pornography. Uh, but it, it furthered and it progressed beyond that. Uh, I was I was from a pretty addictive family in terms of both my parents being alcoholics. Uh, I think my dad had a lot of sexual dysfunction. My sister was pregnant at 16. Uh, most of the women in my family had children at very early age when they were either not married or in an unstable marriage. And so for us, sexuality was very broken. Um, and when I was involved in the church, that was the one place in high school where I felt like I could be accepted, where I felt like I could be loved. Uh, so much like a lot of people in the church, I just, I dove right in. And that was the place where I had stability and, and, and care and, and where I had my sense of security of who I was. That's where I learned to be a leader. That's where I learned to, to be a follower and receive the love from my peers, from my youth minister, uh, from amazing, loving priests. Uh, but I carried all of that baggage, you know, all along the way. Um, so, so at one point in time, did, uh, did you know that like you were attracted, um, uh, um, uh, to men or to, to boy, like, cause, cause if you were a boy, it would have been boys at, at that time. Yeah, it was pretty early. Uh, well, you know, you could, you could talk about the whole father wound, right? Distant relationship with my dad, overbearing mm -hmm. relationship with my mom. And, uh, and so just craving that male, you know, that male attraction, um, craving that male intimacy. I didn't have any brothers. I just had three older sisters and it was as early as I could remember. And the problem wasn't as much that I was attracted to boys as much, I think, as like the, the lust and the grasping that went with that and the mm. things that I was exposed to at a young age that really kind of snowballed it. You know, so there were two different things going on. There was the attraction to boys, but really the, the big thing was the addiction that eventually went into masturbation and pornography. Um, so, yeah. When you so one of the things that our stories have in common is exposure to, you know, I, I guess I would say sexual brokenness at a young age. For me, it was hardcore triple X pornography when I was around first grade, so six seven years old. Um, my dad's or my uh, friends, my brother's friend's dad hid it from his wife in his son's closet. And we found it because we thought we were going to, well, my brother thought he was going to watch Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which we were forbidden to watch. <laughs> uh, we were forbidden to watch it because my very conservative mother thought it was demonic because they said Kalima and ripped people's Kalima. hearts out. I mean, well, that is like dark as hell, though. It like, is. I don't know. <laughs> it is true. But anywho, so yeah. uh, so we were going <laughs> to watch it. Yeah, so we were going to watch it. And um, it was porn. And my brother, I, I invited myself over to his house. And, you know, like, I want to go play with my brother. And my brother's like, no way. And he was so pissed that I was tagging along. But in the end, I, you know, we were there. The mom left for a grocery store run. And we watched hardcore pornography when we were six, seven years old, you know. And yeah. uh, uh, that, that experience radically shaped everything that came after my life, you know. So yeah. I actually, I just did, I don't know, Luke, if I told you this, um, I just did a, or I did months and months and months ago, an interview with Matt Frad for his Integrity Restored podcast, which is about pornography addiction. And uh, he interviewed me and I kind of share that story. He just released it like two weeks ago. So if you want to uh, cry about a pathetic story, uh, mine is the <laughs> most, uh, yeah, it's just horrible. Yep. Yeah, I feel you. Yeah, so you started, uh, but this is huge. Like, I don't think people give enough credit to family of origin stuff. You know, yeah. like, like the, you, you and me, <laughs> you just dove right in. Like, a lot of brokenness. Like, we'll talk about a little bit with, you, with your dad. Like, your, so your dad wasn't, was he not, like, at all affectionate with you? Did he not, you know, was he just absent? Was he just gone? Was he, what was the deal? 
Yeah. Um, you know, my parents have been married, if you want to call it that, for, for 35 years. Yes, you know, they love each other, but it's their own kind of issues that make it hard for them to really open up and receive and give love. And so I think out of their uh, their own kind of separation issues and, and, and just struggling to, to be intimate together, um, I ended up being very close with my mom. And I think for my mom, like I became the man in her life. Like as a child, the tender love that she got for me and, and gave and received for me was, was kind of that like male intimate love. And I think from a very young age, I'm realizing more and more with my dad's just anger at me over the years. He, he almost hated me, you know, and he doesn't hate me because, you know, I'm his son, but just like a jealousy out of what my mm. mom did by kind of taking me in close and kind of shutting him out in the midst of their fighting and alcoholism and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of distance there. Of course, years later, I never would have known that as a kid, uh, but years later, uh, and, and my dad was raised Catholic, uh, you know, conservative Catholic. I think he had four or five siblings. And, uh, and I think that they all just kind of picked up their own dysfunctions along the way. Um, and I mean, we all do like, it's not, it's not a sob story. I think all these secrets that I'm kind of divulging, they just connect me to the rest of humanity, you know, yeah. finding out along the way, they don't separate me from humanity. It's actually those things that bring me in with everyone else and all the listeners that are like, Oh, wow, I'm not the only one that had a screwed up family. Um, but yeah. So, so yeah, relationship with my dad was distant, aloof, not a lot of physical intimacy. Um, and even when there was, it was kind of awkward. And then he would make a lot of really awkward comments growing up, you know, uh, watching the NFL cheerleaders and kind of elbowing me and saying, Oh, look at them, look at them. And, you know, making comments to my mom and at a very young age, like I knew that that was wrong. And I kind of despised my dad for the way that he treated my mom and his own, own kind of sexual comments that were kind of, you know, abusive, uh, verbally abusive. And so it made me kind of hate that uh, the way that he treated women more and that kind of just added to the distance. Like I didn't have a model of how to relate to women in my life from my dad. So, uh, so yeah. And then the other thing was too, is, you know, at a young age, if you have a a kind of an addiction, uh, I was attracted to girls, but this happened at such a young age. So we're talking like six or seven or eight years old. The only access I had to act out on this was with boys, my age, right? Like seeing them, looking at them, gawking over them because most boys don't even get interested in girls, even the normal boys, quote unquote, until they're 10, 11, 12, 13. By the time Mm -hmm. I was even that age, so much of my psychosexual development was hijacked that it was hard to even relate to girls by the time I would have hit puberty and had that normal, you know, uh, kind of arousal and and, and healthy sexual growth. Interesting. Uh, So how, so, okay. So you're a kid having all this stuff like happening what's your compass Mm -hmm. for all this like what's your guy to kind of just to try to like like how are you explaining just the issue with your like own family and within your just like your own your own like mind like what's the driving force but like what's kind of like guiding you along yeah i mean the 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 good force, right, was just that love and acceptance that I got from people in the Catholic Church. Yes, I struggle with same-sex attraction. Yes, I, I have sexual addiction. But I have never once been, like, rejected from anybody in the church at any point. And you all know this. Like, no matter how much people on the outside or people in the world may think the church rejects you, the church rejects you, people in the church have yet to reject me, as many people as I've come out to this about. Um, and so the driving force in a positive way was just the love and the care of the church. And yes, I agreed with the church teachings, but I only agree with the church teachings because I trusted the people that were teaching me because mm-hmm. they were loving me. Um, and I know that is not the case with a lot of other young people. So I absolutely empathize with people that you know may end up bitter or resentful or very hurt by the way they were treated in the church, but that was not my case. So the, the, the love and, and the acceptance was the good driving factor. And I would say the the sort of negative one, the way that I coped in terms of, I guess you could say a moral compass was dissociation. You know, dissociation is something that happens to people with addiction and other people where I simply just dissociated from those behaviors, those bad behaviors whenever I wasn't acting out. And so it was really effective if I wanted to lead the youth group. And, and, and I was the MC at our diocesan Catholic youth conference standing up in front of a thousand people. I was that senior in high school that all the girls were you know, wanting to, to hang out with and get his number. I was, I was up there. And then in the darkness, like I was just rampant, you know, in, in pornography and masturbation and, you know, just desperately wanting, you know, male intimacy. Um, and so the only way that I could cope and, and move on with my life is simply to just dissociate and pretty much live two separate lives. Could you explain a bit just like what it looked like when you would uh, disassociate? Like, like, what do you actually mean by that? 
you know, other words that I think of are just repression, right? I just wouldn't, I simply wouldn't think about it. Um, it it's mm -hmm. amazing the way the brain works when you go from one mode to the other, right? Your higher brain is the functioning brain. That's where I wanted religion, where I was seeking after healthy intimacy. I was operating with people. I was extremely, you know, as, 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 a, as a young man, I was almost overly responsible, right? So I, I had all these skills that my dad and my parents had given me. I had good grades and I wanted to be a leader. Um, and that was my higher self. And I'd say the dissociation is just kind of going into a, a, a less, you know, a lower self of your animal, your impulses. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, it, it, it's kind of hard to explain, but um, I mean, to paint a picture, you know, you're at work, you're in ministry, it's 3 p.m., you're stressed out because you're trying to prepare for a youth night. And what are you going to do? Are you going to go to Adoration Chapel? And are you going to work through that stress? Or are you going to use the coping mechanism you've had since you were eight years old and go to the church bathroom and masturbate at 3 p.m. on a work day and then feel like shit? Well, I'm not going to feel like shit because I got to lead a youth night. So I'm just going to dissociate and move on and hope that it doesn't bother me enough. And then mm. maybe at 10 o'clock at night, maybe I'll reach out to an accountability partner. Maybe the next day I'll get to confession and work with it. But yeah. you got to cope. Yeah. And I know that I am not the only youth minister that has done that. I am not the only church worker that has done that. Yeah. It's a coping mechanism. And I learned it since I was five, six, seven years old. You know, and I don't want to, I don't want to diminish the sin. Like I'm not trying to make excuses. I just, Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. it, it was so healing for me to just look at this stuff in therapy and spiritual direction and, and recovery groups and in support groups to just look at this stuff objectively to take away the shame and to, to, to take away the fear and the anxiety and just look and say, what's happening here, you know, and, and, and to understand it. So. What was it like, what was the breaking point for you? Like, when did you kind of go, okay, I've got a, like, I've got to start to address this freshman year. I was, uh, I was at a conservative Catholic school. Um, you don't have to drink for that. I will not get away my identity, but was not that conservative <laughs> Catholic school. Um, I was at another conservative Catholic school. I was leading the retreats. I was involved in men's group. Wait, 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 real quick, to... real quick. Yeah. There, what's up? There are other conservative Catholic schools other than Franciscan. I didn't. Yeah, but they're all weird. Oh, okay. Uh, gotcha. Go on. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, they're not near as good. Actually, at my conservative Catholic school, everybody told me you should go. You should. Why didn't you go to Steubenville? Why didn't you go to Steubenville? Anyway, so there you go. Now you can drink. <laughs> yes, yes. I got a really tall can of Bud Light that I'm drinking right now. I've got a good can of Rheingeist. I don't know why I'm not drinking, but me either. Oh well, I have enough issues. I probably should be drinking. Anyways, <laughs> I might just hang up and go do something bad to relieve my stress. So, anyways. Um, Breaking point, freshman year of college, I wasn't sleeping well, I wasn't eating well, I was overstretched, I was doing way the hell too much ministry, studying, not too much, but just trying to hold it all together. And I was away from my family enough that I could finally confront some of these issues. So I hit rock bottom, and, uh, and I just went to a priest for confession um, that I had met. He was a priest of another campus. We were doing a retreat with another campus ministry, and that was the first time in my life I had ever just unloaded all of my baggage to one individual person. And this priest later became my spiritual director. And over the next couple months, that was the first time I ever really experienced the unconditional love of God, God the Father through a priest that he was learning little by little all of my baggage. And I was so ashamed to unload this stuff. I would do it little by little and he just loved me. I mean, we'd go out to dinner and he would just lavish love on me by taking me out to dinner and spending time with me. And I just, I did not understand how in the world I could ever deserve that kind of love. And I had to experience in a very tangible human fatherly way because I had never experienced it like that before. And so through that, uh, through that rock bottom of, of kind of a, 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 you know, I don't know, like a just falling apart, right? A lot of us hit those rock bottoms. I started acting out even more sexually, right? So the, the sexual addiction intensified. It went into chat rooms. It went into webcam. It went into like, you know, hooking up with anonymous strangers and, and, and dangerous places. I mean, I am the guy that could be in the papers that you're like, what? Why in the hell would he do that? You know, that senator, that golf player, that talk show host or that comedian, whatever. Like, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a disease. It's a brain disease. And, the, and, and I am in a support group with very, very amazing, talented people who struggle with that, who could easily be in the papers for that. And so that, that's the level that I was at when I hit my rock bottom. And it was just like these two lives that I was living, they have to crash into each other. And I'm going to have to figure this out because I can't keep living this way. So spiritual direction, therapy, and, uh, and a 12-step group, you know. There's the AA group. A lot of people hear about it. Hi, my name's Joe, Joey, Jojo Shabadoo, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Joe. Well, there's a group called, you know, Sex Addicts Anonymous. It's called SAA, and it's the same 12 steps as AA, 
one of the best things that ever happened to spirituality in the 20th century. Amen. I started going to those groups, and I would go one, two, three times a week at 19 years old when I was going to a conservative Catholic school and just unloading my stuff. And little by little by little, just like chipping away at that shame and talking it out and recognizing that I am connected to the rest of humanity. Did you wow. find through the 12 step? I, I have been in, <laughs> uncovering the profound wisdom of the 12 steps in my in my own life, like accidentally, like one of them being, you know, like where um, I, I don't know one of the steps are to go and apologize to the people that you've hurt in your past. Yeah, And so I was talking with someone about that recently, and then the, the thing was, this person was like, well, I need to go and confront this guy and, uh, you know, apologize. And I said, well, you know, in the 12 steps it says you should do that unless it's going to cause them more pain, right? Then, yeah. then you don't do that because then it's about you and not about, like, them having healing, right? Like, then it's mm-hmm. all about, well, I need this and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, oh, dude, wow, like. I literally thought that was going to kill the guy if I said it, but I felt like I needed to say it. I was like, you might need to say it in the privacy of the church confessional, but it would probably, you know, within this particular case, it would probably crush this guy to have you bring it up, you know? And so, I I don't know, could you speak to a little, here's my fear. There are people that need to be in SSA, AA, NA, but they're afraid to admit their problem in front of other people. Could you tell us a little bit about what, I mean, maybe like what was your first day like at, at one of these places, you know, going and your first group experience? You know what I mean? Like I want to yeah. I want to help people. I want to make it easier and remove as much anxiety for people who need group to to be there for. Them. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, recovery, not every city has, has great, you know, groups for, or, you know, for, uh, for sex addiction, right? Uh, SAA, Sexaholics Anonymous, AA is, is everywhere. Uh, but it's amazing. They have phone groups. They have online groups. Like you could literally call or log on at any point and be a part of a phone group and join a meeting. So if you're afraid to go in person, you can Google it. So Google Sex Addicts Anonymous, Sex Addiction Groups. If, 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 you're str- if there's a loved one that's struggling and you don't know what to do, you can go to similar groups that are like Co-Addicts Anonymous or you can research it online. You can find support if you think that someone that you love is in sex addiction. Um, so the resources are out there if you're too afraid to go in person or you're just not ready yet. Or if, if, if you're not an addict, you can't show up at a meeting, right? If, if you know, if I'm married and, and, and my wife has a problem, I can't go show up at a meeting. It has to be her. But there are meetings for spouses, for loved ones. There's, there's stuff online. My first meeting, I was 19 years old. I was an overly perfectionistic, pious Catholic who was living double life. And so while I was desperately in need of love and affection and I was living two lives and I was way out on the fringe in terms of like the kinds of sins I was committing, I still came there and there was like self-righteousness in me because all of these other, of these other men and women in this group were all over the spectrum in terms of their sexual morality. Yeah. So for me, sexual sobriety with the catechism was no masturbation, no sex before marriage, no lusting after anybody, no pornography. Well, when you've masturbated yourself to sleep every single night since you're eight years old, it's kind of hard to live out the catechism immediately. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I was just overly perfectionistic. Um, but then looking at other people in the group for other people, sobriety looked like being in a committed relationship, a sexual relationship with somebody that they maybe weren't married to. For some people, it was living in a committed relationship with a man, you know, a man and a man living in a committed relationship. And I, I couldn't handle that at first. I could not handle that. There were other people that did not live in the worldview of Catholicism that I lived in. But really, I think it was less about living the Catholic viewpoint as much as I was a perfectionist. I was beating myself up and holding other people to an unhealthy like standard. And, and, I, and I completely agree with the church's teaching, and I desperately want to live the church's teaching. Everything it has to say about marriage, everything it has to say about same-sex attraction, living faithfully, living chastely. But there, there, was a, there was perfectionism in me that was rejecting me and rejecting the other people. And for a long time, I just couldn't fit it in my heart and in my mind. So that was my experience at first going into, into the, we call it in the walls of this room, right? The walls of this room is the metaphor for, you know, the, the, the sex addiction meetings or the AA meetings. Mm-hmm. And so in those walls, it was real hard for me, for, you know, for me at first. Sure. Little by little, you know, I committed to it and I went more and more and more. To eventually, it felt like home because these are the people that got me, they accepted me, they loved me. Even though we didn't agree, you know, philosophically, theologically, morally, uh, we all understood that, that, that we were attached to humanity, that there's nothing that we can do that would ever make us 
totally unworthy of Christ's love and God's love. And and so little by little, like it's a journey. And I, I don't, yeah, I mean, I have no regrets going into recovery and just taking it, you know, little by little, every step of the way. But it's, it's yeah, as we all know, it's not an overnight thing. Yeah. And, and that's, um, that's, uh, kind of a thing that I think as Catholics and I mean, really anyone, um, who's a person, um, who has faith. I think we, we really like the idea of the, of the, of the overnight healing or of the instant healing, especially. And I, and I, and I mean, of course that is absolutely, that is absolutely true. And that does happen, but it also doesn't happen. And it also takes time. And, you know, there are layers uh, to things, you know, and we all, we all have these different wombs. We all have, I mean, like we're all actually pretty deep and we have, and we, um, in both good and bad ways. And, and I think it can take a, a lot of time to really peel back. Okay. Why am I doing this? Why is this happening? What healing, like really God kind of works i think in terms of he reveals stuff to us and then he heals us and but that can take years yeah yeah gomer you could probably speak to this um luke i, I don't know how you, involved you are but there, there's a there's a healing ministry out there that's been absolutely transformational in my life two things have impacted me the most in terms of the church three things have impacted me the most 12-step recovery uh then theology of the body and the third one is is uh, a healing ministry called the john paulton healing center in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, and, and you could probably, again, jump in on this, Gomer, but they, they give this formation of healing and redemption, and it, it, it's, it's changed my life because it just makes so much sense. And what it is is, is it's a tree, and at the, at the root of the tree is your security, right? Are you a secure person in Christ? Do you know that you're loved, right? And so the roots are the security, and that's knowing your identity in Christ, no matter how good, how bad, how shitty, how amazing, how holy— Whatever level of church hierarchy you are, it doesn't matter. Like you are secure and you're rooted in Christ's love, and that, that it all comes from Ephesians. And then the middle of the tree would be your maturity. So roots of the tree is security. Middle of the tree is maturity, and that's your growth in Christ. If you're secure and rooted in Christ, you will grow in maturity. And then the, the branches and the fruit of the tree is purity, right? And so that would be like the fruits of the Spirit, righteousness, right, hope, love, whatever, all, all the fruits of the Spirit, chastity self-control um you can't check me out theology right now i'm just like all in my all in my stuff but <laughs> basically the healing journey is 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 like you know deep down in those roots like if there's insecurity if i don't know who i am in christ and i have places in my heart because of the sins that i've committed and the ways that maybe my parents have rejected me my peers rejected me when i was a kid the ways that i rejected myself those places deep down in those roots like i have insecurity i don't know who i am and if, if that happens then Right. Those are like the deep, like, I'm a failure. I'm a fuck up. I'm a hypocrite. I don't belong in ministry. Like, I'm hopeless. I'm going to cause scandal. All these lies. That's the roots. And if, if those roots are still there and they're bad, I'm going to be immature in that trunk of the tree. And then the impurity is going to come out in, in the branches and in the fruit. And that bad fruit, that's the pornography. That's the masturbation. That's the anger. That's the unforgiveness. That's, that's the, mm -hmm. you know, the rage. Um, that's the, the sins that we can't stop. And so basically what I kept doing is I, I kept having these bad fruits, pornography and masturbation. We'll, we'll say those two. And I keep bringing these fruits to confession over and over again because I'm in the midst of an addiction. And if I bring this fruit to confession and the priest is like, well, put your computer in a different room or, you know, like put a rubber band on your, on your, on your wrist. Yeah. It so you'll quit yeah. Rest. yeah. Right. Those are good things, but that's essentially just fruit management. If, if I keep bringing these fruits back, I can manage the fruit as much as possible. But if the roots are bad, what's going to happen? The fruits just well, keep growing from the damn tree, yep. and I'm going to keep growing with sin. And so the healing is like, if I go to confession, can I confess to the priest? Like, I use pornography, like, you know, right after I gave a, a talk, a chastity talk. You know, I gave a theology advice talk, and then I went home and used pornography, and I feel like a hypocrite. Like, that's, that's where I can open up my heart to the grace and confession and let that redeeming love seep all the way down into those roots. Have you? And so the healing that I've, yeah. Have you ever, just right on that note, have you ever had a priest recognize you in confession? Like, and be like, oh, aren't you that guy that's doing the youth stuff? Have you ever had that, like, awkward experience? 
Not necessarily. I don't know. Have you guys? I have. I haven't as much. <laughs> same priest. Yeah, tell me about it. That'd be fun. Fun story. I've been talking a lot. No, I mean, I had an experience where a priest looked at me, and I, and I got a confession to him, and he goes, hey, aren't you giving a talk at what's it called? <laughs> and I was like, uh, sure. Seriously? And I was trying to, like, like here I am going to confession. I, I don't want my sins and my whatever, like, mm-hmm. to be a thing. Mm-hmm. And But this guy, like, runs this one organization. He's like, yeah, you're going to be at this. And then he just got real quiet. And I was like, son of a. Come on, that's why. I, honestly, that's why. Yes, I'm going to keep carrying those sins instead of telling you. No, no. What mm. I do is my strategy is to uh, never go face to face. To face. Or, yep. I don't and, do it anymore. And ever. I disguise my voice sometimes. I've done that too. <laughs> I wanted to do that for this podcast. I couldn't do it for an hour. <laughs> that's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll mess with the distortion. You'll sound. You'll sound like dubstep. <laughs> Hello, everyone. One of the most healing things is to out myself and talk about my woundedness and my struggle with same-sex attraction to some of my best friends and then joke about it. <laughs> that is one of the most healing things. Like that, that you're at a level with your friends that are guys that you can make jokes about either being attracted to them or, you know, because you tell them and they make a gay joke and they're like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Right. But then, but then you could actually joke and, and introduce some of the jokes and it makes it a hell of a lot funnier even in a group of people. <laughs> That's that that is the redemptive healing love of Jesus right there. So yeah, so so the guy goes the guy goes, dude, that's so gay. And then you look at me and you go, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> like and how? No, uh, uh, um, how? So if like, can you talk for a bit about how do you bring that up if you're in Christian a community and you want to be honest, you want to be open with the with the people who are uh, holding you accountable or even just your own your own friends i think i could be wrong but it's but it has been my ex my experience that 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 a lot of people who do have a same-sex um attraction if they were to uh come out for like you know lack of a better term um, most of our friends or, or just, or just people that I know would be like, yeah, I mean, like we still love you. It's fine. Um, but I think they would probably like, they don't think that's going to happen. Can you just talk a little bit about your ex, your experience with that? And, per, and perhaps just, uh, give a couple, um, points as to, as to how to have those conversations from both, from both angles. So uh, the first person I, I came out to was my best friend in high school, um, and I wrote a note to him, and I, for whatever reason, my mom found it. So uh. classic, like, worst nightmare situation. <laughs> so overprotective, overly emotional mom is now knows that I'm gay and wants to help me, which makes it even worse because that's part of the problem in the first place. <laughs> um, but anyways, I eventually gave this guy the note, and, and, and there's this expectation, right? So a lot of times when you – at least for me, when I would give something very deeply to myself, right? Whether it's, you know, I struggle with same-sex attraction or for maybe, for maybe somebody else, it was, I was sexually abused by someone in my life or, you know, my parents, you know, have this problem or that problem. Basically we have this thing that's very deeply ingrained, like in our heart that, that represents a lot of shame and pain. Whenever we bring that up, it's really hard not to have all kinds of expectations, you know? So the negative ones are like, you're going to reject me. You're going to this, or you're going to that. Those I didn't struggle with as much. But it was the expectations that I expected them to change their behavior. I expected more love from them than what they can give. Maybe mm-hmm. I expected extra attention or I expected like some dramatic, no way, you're so strong, you're so holy. And I would tell my friend, you know, and, and little by little I would tell my friends and, and they'd be like, okay. I mean, I, you know, and, and, and if I was in a place of pain, they'd console me, but they wouldn't mm-hmm. console me any more than they'd console any other friend in pain. Yeah. Um, and so when they would treat me normally, yeah, that was healing, but it was also hard for me for a while because I had this expectation of some dramatic, you know, like it was going to be some revelation. Mm-hmm. And, and then and then again, the expectation where I'm going to tell you all my stuff and you're going to love me extra. So I began to to struggle later on when I opened up to a lot of people that I would tell people because I wanted more acceptance and I was like outing myself too much. You know, these are my sins. And I think people in ministry struggle with that, like with the big conversion story of, I want to tell people this because I expect something in return. And then when people don't give me that, then I feel like they're not doing enough for me. Um, and a lot, and a lot of times like people wouldn't know how to love me any different than they were already loving me. Uh, and so it took me a long time, years, you know, to recognize, um, 
you know, what to expect from people and, and to allow them to love me in the way that they can love me. And then eventually I got to a place where I would say I've received a lot of healing in the roots, like in the security. So even though I, I'm in, you know, an active addiction, right? Even I'm trying to heal, I'm trying to be celibate, I'm trying to be chaste. But right now I'm living as a lay person in an active addiction, not as bad as it once was. And so now when I tell people there's a sense of detachment and, and I just say, you know, I, I struggle with, with sex addiction to pornography, masturbation, and it used to be stuff that was a lot worse. If they ask, you know, with prudence, I might tell them more. Um, with people that are close enough to me, I'll tell them it's also same-sex attraction. But there's this level of detachment where I just tell them as, as sort of an offering of myself as a gift. And however they, they're able to receive it, they can receive it. Because telling them no longer, I don't, I don't need their validation to affirm me in that deep place. Because I've gone to the right places for validation being recovery, therapy, 12-step groups, spiritual direction, best mm -hmm. friends. You know, and so I have to go to the well to get that affirmation, not standing up on a pulpit and telling everybody how broken I am, yeah. you know? So if we get one listener tonight, it's not going to boost or, you know, kill my ego anymore. I don't care. I just want to tell my story. When you talk about the theology of the body, what did that, because you did the theology of the body and the, um, the healing was it a healing the whole person is that the one that you did the program that i uh, i was like i was drinking the kool-aid from that ministry i've done them all but yeah <laughs> you did the full circuit yeah. tour okay so but it started with the theology of the body institute right i uh, yeah i read the books in high school i listened to the tapes right christopher west i mean he just hey i just want to say world. did you listen yeah. to the tapes of christopher west called uh like man of the covenant or something like that no my the naked without shame was the ones i did yeah so at the end of naked without shame there's a tape about men where he talks about joking about sexuality in a funny and positive way. Do you remember that at all? No, I don't. Damn it. Because I'm on that tape. He recorded that at Franciscan. <laughs> and I did. I knew there was going to be. And I, did, I, was, I was like, this oh, is going to be man. about how, he, how he's in that somehow. my life in high school. My entire conversion and recovery is due to your testimony. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> no, but there's just one part where you can definitely hear my Gomer laugh. You remember that, Luke? <laughs> No, because I didn't go to any of his talks. That's, um, that's a good point. That's a good point. But no, so what yeah. I, I just wanted you to talk about, what the, what did the theology of the body do for you concretely to help you become more aware, move, you know, you know, attack the root of the problem, you know, and all that good stuff? Yeah. yeah I mean, it was hope. I mean, at first it was hope, right? I mean, it, 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 it showed me all, all of like a lot, a lot of, you know, as a, as a high school and a college kid, I wasn't able to get that much out of it in terms of being able to understand the big picture, but just hope, right. That there was like acceptance for me in the church. There was hope that the whole idea that Christopher gives about like untwisting the bad desires and recognizing that there's a good desire at the root. And so that's, that's the hope is like, okay, if I can untwist this, I can get to the root. And then really like, it's like, it's like all I was seeing was the tip of the iceberg. Um, and as I read uh, of my addiction and of my dysfunctions and all that and same sex attraction, but then theology of the body just sort of like, you know, showed me that it was basically like this huge, gigantic mountain. And as overwhelming as it was, at least I saw the whole picture, you know, mm -hmm. and, and yeah, it's overwhelming to, to see how am I ever going to live chastely? How am I going to be fulfilled in my desires? Right. How am I going to live the teachings of the church? But at least I see it. At least I get it. At least I get the whole picture. Um, and as much as I just want that mountain to move, I recognize that like, Getting a guide, you know, getting those people in my life to guide me one step of the way up that mountain and climbing that mountain. If I could climb that mountain one step of the way, it might take forever rather than the mountain getting, getting moved. But now I could be a guide and I could help each person climb. And every single step on that mountain is like another place in my heart where I did not feel God's love, where I could accept his love. You know, some memory, some dysfunction, some compulsion, some regret. And all those are places of healing and love that if the mountain was just moved, I never would have been able to experience. So that, that's what Theology of the Body did, is it was kind of like giving me the map to navigate it. But, yeah, I could know everything. I could know the map. I could look at the damn map, but if I don't have a guide to take me up there, I need a Sherpa. <laughs> I need a spiritual director. I need catching foxes. <laughs> well, you're welcome, you're welcome, world. <laughs> no, but I, I, I mean, I really agree with you on that because there are times where I think all we do is talk about the ideal, and we say it sh like it should be like this, and you know you shouldn't look at pornography, and you should only have sex with your wife, and you shouldn't want to have sex with other women, and it's gonna be awesome once you are there. And I'm like, that's great. Um, uh, 
how <laughs> you know like and and it really i mean it it really does only come i mean cuz i think what you are talking about is is the exact same thing that Pope Francis talks talks about when he speaks of accompaniment um this idea of like i'm going to get into your mess and i'm going to be there with you and you're going to screw up and I'm going to I'm going to screw up, and that's okay. Yeah, uh, there, there, uh, there's a, uh, a priest that, that I've got to know pretty well, and and, and this priest, uh, to people that you trust, he's kind of an open book. You know, um, him and I kind of hit it off, and we had this trusted relationship, and um, and so you know, he he opened up that in a very kind of like nonchalant way that he went through AA, you know, and and later on that like he made references to the fact that he went through some issues with same sex attraction. And, and he didn't, he didn't diminish the issues, but neither did he blow them up. So I don't want to say, Oh, this priest was telling me his deep, dark secrets. He was like, yeah, this is my past, whatever. And it, it gives me mm-hmm. so much hope because to me, like that's, that's hope, right? That, that men who have struggled, what men and women, you know, religious life, married, single, priest, whatever vocation come to a place of leadership could, could, could admit these things and say them, um, not with some piece of drama, but yeah, I'm connected to the rest of humanity. And so this priest talks about the principle of gradualism. And, and he, he was taught this in seminary. Hopefully it was a good seminary, right? But gradualism is that you meet the person where they're at. And so this priest is downtown in a, in a, in a liberal city. And, uh, and so let's say that he's got two guys living in a same-sex relationship. And, and one of those guys is also sleeping around with 10 other guys, right? And he's got this problem. And the principle of gradualism is, can I get that man who's sleeping around with all these other guys to live in a monogamous same-sex relationship first, like mm-hmm. to get him more grace in his life, to reconcile him more with the church's teaching, to go from multiple partners in a very unhealthy way to one partner and living faithfully with one partner and then go from there. You know, and it's like, yeah. dare we accompany people and meet them where they're at? Or should he just say, I can't work with you if you guys believe in same sex marriage? I'm sorry, you're going to have to find a different church. You know? Yeah. So that principle of gradualism just to me gives a lot of freedom uh, to, to meet the person where they're at and bring them to a different. So for me, what that looked like in my life was my therapist and spiritual director saying, okay, don't worry about masturbation right now. Like if you could stop using pornography and stop like at the time hooking up with strangers, let's work on that, Amen. you know? And, and if you're masturbating yourself to bed, like that's okay. We'll work with that, you know, um, at least not mm-hmm. in a public place. And so like the, the gradualism is, is an amazing mercy that the church offers and it's theological. And I'm not a theologian. I can't necessarily teach it. I just know that it worked in my life and it's been helping me immensely. And I feel that I'm reconciled with the church in the midst of this growth because of that. Are you able to see when other people are going through are, um, are like, you know, being just that, sorry, how do I put this? Because of your experience, are you able uh, to recognize these that's that's that struggle in other people who have not come to a place where they where they can admit that that's where they are? Yeah. Do you mean the 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 rad trad guy at the cathedral that's the altar server where you're <laughs> like that guy is totally gay? <laughs> oh man! No, I, I, you're just wondering when he's going to break. You're just wondering. Anyways, sorry. <laughs> yeah, and, and and you know I laugh. Obviously, it's not from a place of judgment, right? Because I'm someone who struggles. Um, and the the laughter is hopefully in a in a like we need to recognize that like okay, can we just relate to the world here? You know, and uh, and and yeah, I mean, I, let's be real. Let's call it same sex attraction, whatever people call it, gay. That's helpful. Um, I understand officially the church wants to call it same sex attraction. And anyways, but um, but there's a mercy. Like I have mercy on this guy too because I recognize like he wants order. He's, he, you know, he might be looking for that, like, you know, in, in, in the institution of the church, there's, there's a sense of masculinity in it. There's a sense of strength in it. And in the, in the, you know, in the hierarchy, like that's a beautiful thing. It's fatherhood. You're coming under the blessing of fatherhood. And I know there's so many men probably in seminaries that have these struggles that just desperately want the love of the father and want to be in a structure and in a place where like they're held up. The problem is that if they don't get healing, all of that is just surface level shit. You know, mm-hmm. they're just hiding behind for a sense of masculinity that's not really true. Um, so, yeah. we used to call it the gospel of sin management, where you reduce the gospel to, I screwed up 10 times last week, next week I'm going to screw up nine times. Yeah. And there's a, there's a place for that, like you call it gradualism. There's a place for 
allowing the progress of, of one growing in virtue. And if one is overwhelmed in vice, whether or not you choose it for yourself or not, you know, you were, you, you know, you come from a abusive background, a neglectful background, you know, all these things affect us as, you know, human beings. But, um, so this notion of like fighting, there, there's a quote from the catechism of the Catholic church where it talks about laws of gro- chastity has laws of growth, which progress through stages. And he says, those stages are marked by imperfection and too often by sin. So it's not like it's saying, you know what? Sin's totally fine. But it's also not saying, you know what? You got to be perfect at every stage. It's saying, number yeah. one, there are stages. And I think, yeah, yeah. I think just that, that one. Okay. So my personal thing was I read that line my quote unquote senior year of high school. Didn't really have a senior year, but homeschool. Um, but I read that, you know, I'm in the middle of struggling with this. Wait, stuff. You went to homeschool and you looked at pornography? You didn't get expelled? Yeah. Well, actually, when I admitted it to my mom, she more or less did uh, and rained down hate and rage on me. But that's a different story. Uh, you can uh, you can hear about that on my podcast with Matt Frad uh, that he did. Um, but, the, but the notion was, when I read that line, it's from uh, 2343, chastity has laws of growth which progress through stages marked by imperfection too often by sin. I think, I, I would think the ideal is purity, and then I would fail, and I would be like, ah, oh, okay, and then I would go to confession a day later. And then I would struggle with all this thing of, like like you said, Luke, you know, the, the ideal is there. I know clearly what the ideal is. The ideal is simple. You know, it's like, it's, it's you know, you're, you're integrated, your chastity is oriented towards whatever, marriage or celibacy for life. But here I am, I'm at B and I'm trying to get to Z and I have no, and all I think is I just hate myself that I'm not at Z. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I read stories of saints. I read stories of instantaneous healing in charismatic communities or whatever it is. And I'm like, why am I the only one that's not there? And I hate myself. Yeah. And then that shame doubles down the, the, the self-hate. And then you do something like look at pornography, masturbate, whatever it is in order to get rid of a release from that shame. But then you, you got about four and a half seconds of release, and then it triples down on you uh, even worse. And then you said something to me that uh, that I, I, I literally have used this line like two dozen times. We understand how to fight Satan the tempter, but we don't understand how to fight Satan the accuser. Right? So the tempter is before you sin, he's trying to get you to sin. Yeah, resist, fight, oppose the devil at the door, not in your room, you know. How do we deal with Satan who accuses us of the very sin he tempted us to do? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> thank you for letting me get back on my soapbox. Um, You're welcome. So I was, I was at a discernment <laughs> event where it's a bunch of young men that meet weekly in our diocese. Um, and, and we get together and we get to talk by the vocations director about like how to live holy lives. And it's really inspiring. And these are guys that are on fire for the Lord, that are discerning, giving their lives, like, you know, uh, and, and priesthood and religious life. And so he was preaching on, it was Lent, and he was preaching on Satan the tempter. And he was talking about, as we know from, from you know, from the temptation of Jesus in the desert, where, you know, uh, sin is all about like being tempted in your identity. Of, Do you really trust that God is the Father? Do you really trust that he's going to provide for you? And, and the battle with Satan is all about trusting the Father and not doubting your identity, right? And not doubting that the Lord is going to provide. And and Jesus prevailed, right? He trusted against Satan the tempter, and and he did not give him the temptation in the desert. And so he was giving this talk to us, the vocations director, and I looked around the room, and all the guys were just not with it. I, I could just see the pain on their faces because we were all failing at that. Because we're freaking human. And, and we're all tempted and we doubt our identity, right? We doubt our security and being rooted in Jesus and the Father, and we fail. And, and, and we focus so much on, well, we got to fight against Satan, the, the, the tempter. So I got to move my computer into a different room. And, and you know, I got to make sure that, you know, let me tape my hands to my back when I try to fall asleep so I won't masturbate. I don't know. Whatever, whatever getting wished in the occasion of sin, that is really important, right? And in, in the image of the tree, that's like the the apple that keeps falling. That's the sin management that you were mentioning earlier, Gomer. And that is a really important fight. But we don't even recognize that like Satan tempts us and then right after we fall, then it's Satan the accuser. You're a failure. You're a f- up. Nobody's going to love you. 
your your spouse is going to divorce you. You mm-hmm. don't belong in ministry. There's no hope. And we don't we don't ever really talk enough about how to fight Satan the accuser because we're never willing to admit the lies that he is accusing us with. And 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 so for me, my most profound healing was not in fighting Satan the tempter and avoiding the near occasion of sin, but admitting those lies that were plaguing me deep down after my sin and like fighting Satan the accuser. And so that's yeah, I may not pick up the phone when I want to, you know, jack off and look at porn and I end up falling and doing that. But if right afterwards in that guilt where I just feel like a stack of shit and I'm like, I'm not going to pray now. Like this is the least likely time that I ever want to pray. Like that is like the perfect time to let God's love in when you're laying there in bed or, you know, you just got back in the car because you made some stupid, you know, decision or whatever. You're on your way home. That 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 time of guilt is the perfect time to let God in to fight Satan, the accuser. And that is when I dissociated. That's right. Like, nope, no, nope, not even. And I would just dissociate. And I would jump right back in to what I thought was reality instead of letting God's love crash in. And so the time that we often think we're most worthy of God, least worthy of God's love and we can't pray or whatever is the most profound time. And so for me, it was really hard to pray, but little by little, I started picking up the phone more and more, going to confession more and more and allowing God to love me in that place where I was being accused. Um, and so going back to this discernment event, God, I desperately just wanted to like shout that out to the guys that like, this is what we're all struggling with, you know, is, is guys who want holiness who are on fire for God and we're just stuck. And we feel like there's no way I could ever be a priest. There's no way I could ever be holy. There's no way I could ever be chased. Why? Cause you're a millennial and all you get in your <laughs> entire culture is porn. Like, like you're different from the rest of us. You're different from the guys that are actually in priesthood right now that are fighting this. Mm-hmm. What is the difference between between a guy or just really anyone who's like, oh, you know, I, you know, go too far with my girlfriend or whoever occasionally and uh, and I look at porn a bit and I masturbate a little bit, but like I'm trying. What what is the difference between a guy like how do you know when you just have that when you just have that that struggle and you are an addict like what's the difference be, be between those two things yeah i mean uh, an easy resource is to get online and, and there's tests that you can take for sex addiction uh mm-hmm. you know they're 10, 10 question texts or uh yeah 10, 10 question quizzes or whatever um but i mean the basic idea of addiction is are you able to live the way that you feel called to live you know like this is the way that i want to live am i able to live that and, and, and so like, I want to live a chaste holy life. I want to live the, the teachings of the Catholic church. And, and if I'm constantly, constantly, constantly struggling and I can't get to that point, well, I mean, it may be not an addiction, but I'm powerless. Like I'm powerless over sin. That is step one of any recovery addiction program is I'm powerless. And so I think it's important to recognize that like every single person is powerless over whatever sin that that is and utterly powerless and that they need to reach out to another human being. And, and one of the steps is step I think it's step five is we admitted to another person the exact nature of our wrongs. You know, that's a general confession. It's not we admitted to a priest behind a screen that will never see us again the exact nature of our wrong, but another person like face to face as well. Right. And so, yes, there's grace in the sacrament, but there's also grace into admitting that. So that would be my encouragement is to get that out in the light, whatever that is. And whether it's taking a quiz online or seeking a spiritual director, but face to face and really like unveil that, that, that what we think is garbage, you know, whatever is deep down there. Um, but it, it's hard. It's a conscience issue, right? Like, am I really a sex addict? And, uh, the, the last thing I'll say is, um, well, no, I'm not going to go anymore. I'll stop there. I don't want to go over time. Okay. Yeah, well, no, 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 no. You're fine. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. So keep going. The, the metaphor that was really helpful for me in recognizing what I think is going on with us millennials, um, and, and, and older people as well that, that are like oversexed basically in this culture is like, I don't know. I, I think back at the forties, right. And, 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 and the forties was like a time of like war, right. Everybody was being called off to war and, 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 and killing people is wrong. Right. And war is wrong. But in the forties and fifties, we were in the middle of a war and you were drafted and there was nothing you can do to help the fact that you were drafted. You had to go and you had to go. And there was a chance you were going to kill people and you were going to see death. And that that's a, there's sin in that. Like that's the result of original sin. That's a culture of death. When we have to go to war to defend our country, were all the priests during World War One and Two preaching from the pulpit how bad war is and how terrible war is and that anybody that's going off to war, like they're destroying their soul and they're falling apart and they're going to come back with PTSD and all these things? Like 
I don't think that's what was happening from the pulpit is shaming people for being caught up in a culture of war, if that makes sense. So I guess mm. like to compare that, we're in a culture of sex. Like it's like it's like we're in a battlefield and and we're being drafted into this culture of sex where it's on our phones, it's everywhere, and we can't escape it. And it's like we're being drafted in. And and yes, there's hope and yes, there's healing, but it seems like a lot of our catechesis and preaching from a distance is like maybe we could scare them out of pornography by telling them the dangerous effects that it's going to have on their body and their soul, and it's going to cause divorce and all of these things. And while that's true, just as it would have been true in World War II to preach the evils of war, like, it, what? okay, so what do we do about that? Like, I mean, I, so I'm trying to like compare, if you can imagine just like preaching the evils of war during World War II, how ashamed that would make everyone feel that's caught up in that. So like, how did you, you know, back in World War II, how did you walk with people like after they had these things, at, you know, and they're struggling? It took us years and years and years to start recognizing what PTSD is, to start mm-hmm. walking with people in their shame. And I think we're starting to get to that point in the church where we're, I grew up, you know, I have PTSD of like sex addiction, you know, and like yeah. the church is walking with me. And yes, it's important to preach the evils of pornography and the dangers of sexual promiscuity, but we have to meet people where we're at. We can't just stand at a pulpit. And, and scared out of people. That's really just shaming us if we don't have somebody to walk with us. Oh, dude, I am loving it because like that's we we we've actually talked about that beef um, on on our podcast. That idea of during our chastity talks that we that oh we give it can't just be wait till marriage. We've we've got to have things where it's like, hey guys, no means no. That's part of being. A part of being a uh, chaste man or even just a good person is to, when you are like told no, stop, just stop, you know, and we don't really talk about that stuff. It's, it's just always like, don't have sex, you know? So, oh, one of the things I, I think I want to end with is something that you said to me that I thought was amazing. You said it took you six months to finally drop an F bomb. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> yeah, my spiritual director. My spiritual director was the first person to ever like basically like get me in touch with, you know, like that anger in me that was just like fuck that. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, so I told God that I hated them. I don't know about you, but for me that would be the edited version of what I was probably really experiencing in prayer. You know? Oh, I've done that before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So what is that? I mean, like, I mean, we get flack for cussing no. on our podcast. Um, uh, just tonight, I had a guy uh, at um, at this event that I was doing, and he didn't know me from Adam. And so the guys that were around were like, hey, so I'm listening to blah, blah, blah. So we were talking a little bit about the show. And I was like, you know, and I was telling the guy, I was like, we, we have the highest rated Catholic podcast with an explicit tag. <laughs> and he said, and he said, oh, so you're like. Jesus overturned the tables uh, at the, you know, in the temple and was like, mother effer. And I was <laughs> like, well, we don't say effer. And he's like, really? <laughs> you know? And so I was like, well, I mean, just sometimes. And then, no. you know. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, uh, we do it when it's appropriate. Basically, like. For me, what what helped in, in, in spiritual direction and, and like prayer ministry and healing ministry to, to be able to express that is a lot of people think like if I say if I'm really mad at my dad and there's this memory that I have where I'm like, Fuck you, dad, you know, and I don't want to say that because that's a sin. It's like if it's in your heart, the sin is already committed. Like saying Fuck you, dad, is confessing the sin that is already in your heart. And so sometimes in these in, in our prayers and in spiritual direction and talking with people, we don't want to use language because we're afraid we're going to commit another sin and using bad language is the sin. If it's in our hearts and we have the courage to verbalize it, that's not extra sin. That's confessing sin. Mm-hmm. And so for me, or it's just, yeah. And, and, and whether or not that's a grave sin or, 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 or a small sin, either way, like it's, it's sin and it's darkness in my heart. And so there was a relief for me in spiritual direction and in prayer ministry to be able to like, I had to use it to express myself because I was an overly pious sex addicted Catholic <laughs> and my spiritual director saw right through it. Yeah. You know, and uh, and and he helped me to just kind of get in touch with like expressing myself, and and you know I could get too far as we all can, but it's healing. No, you know? no, you know, no, no, we, no, no, no. I, you know, I, I'm willing to bet we're getting a lot of feedback on this, and we really do want everyone's feedback. Uh, please, please, because I, I do. I honestly think 
we probably have a lot of listeners who are either a right where you are right um, right now or um, are where you were in in you know high school or early part of college when you like first kind of went okay I have a problem here so I, I would love to have you on um, on again j- just um, uh, to one to possibly talk about the feedback that we get. Uh, also to answer any questions that we might have and just kind of like, like just like to uh, chat with you just, and just, you know, be able to see where you are, how you're doing stuff. If, uh, if, you know, you are okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, to, to maybe end on a, a light note, I'll tell you the story of how I actually got to Gomer as I was listening to the podcast on the priest abuse scandal on my way to the city where Gomer works. And I was just like jacked because I was like, yes, I'm so glad we're confronting this issue. And as a young man who struggles with same sex attraction and sex addiction, who like wants to be a priest who has that desire, like, I don't want to be the guy in the papers. Like, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be a part of that. Like I, I desperately want to be healing mm-hmm. for the church. So I was so fired about that podcast. I was like, man, wouldn't it be great if I got to see Gomer like in his town and I was on the way there for a work trip. So basically I'm meeting with kind of a client, a person in my work, and uh, I'm like, you don't go to uh, to that one church in that one city, do you? And she's like, actually, yeah. And I was like, okay, because I know a guy there, Gomer. You know, I'm, oh, yeah, I help out with the youth group all the time, whatever. I was like, could you see if maybe I could, like, hang, just stop by and say hey? <laughs> so she texts him. She calls him. I was like, yeah, come by. And then that afternoon, I was sitting in Gomer's office, and uh, that's how it all started. So That's pretty, awesome, dude. Pretty amazing. So awesome. it's, it's a big deal for me. Thank you guys for hear me out and, and, and for the podcast and all the other guests and all the other listeners that have just created this community of, of acceptance and, and accompaniment, what Pope Francis asked for. Yeah. Accompaniment. <laughs> That's the theme of catching foxes oh, right man. there. Oh, could that, could that be the episode can we please call <laughs> this episode? Yeah. Accompaniment. <laughs> You'll probably have to put an asterisk. I'll, put an asterisk. I'll leave that to you guys. An asterisk. Grow some balls, Gomer. Grow, grow some balls. I would, but I'm married, and they are in a jar <laughs> on my wife's nightstand. How about how about how about accompaniment? Yeah, company Okay, here to save the motherfucking day. Okay, I'm gonna say night prayer and repent of this in my examination conference. <laughs> Listen, it was and then I am not gonna masturbate myself to sleep. Good, good. All you listeners, I am accountable to you this evening. Sweet. <laughs> the best part is knowing that you're not masturbating yourself to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> That's another Lord thing. Have mercy. Yeah, what really should we title this episode? I think F yeah accompaniment would be awesome well but, i'm glad that i don't have to be the masturbation man so yeah it's a relief yeah thank you yeah. ever no, uh, thank you take that Everett fritz <laughs> same sex attraction man <laughs> so wait real quick would you identify yourself as gay uh bisexual same sex attraction no, no you see i i dated in high school and college and i dated a girl in college right. and we dated right before i went into college and we broke up at the end of my college career and I could see a significant diminishment in my physical attraction towards her over a four-year period because my addiction had gotten so intense in pornography and other means of acting out that, like, my psychosexual development was, like, continually stunted and stunted and stunted. So I dated girls. I was attracted to girls. But, like, actual real-life, like, you know, re- relationship with girls it paled in comparison to the addiction that I had started when I was eight years old, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, to same-sex pornography. And so – I would say I'm bisexual. My addiction has made me mostly attracted towards men. But, you know, when I go out dancing on Thursday nights with like 10 girls and I look like an alpha male, like maybe they wouldn't think I was gay. They probably wonder after dancing with all of them and never asking them on a date. Maybe they wonder. Play the celibacy card. (laughs) Sorry, ladies. I'm discerning. That's what I'm. Father, what a waste. Slash yay. <laughs> oh, that's that's it. it. That's the title. That's Thank it. you. That's the title. That's there we go. Well, hey man, um, I've got to go to bed because it's like twelve o'clock at night here. But this has been fantastic. This is like one of my. This is one of my favorite episodes yet. So uh, thank you for being just so for being vulnerable because that's what oh we need right now. This is like this kind of episode is exactly why I wanted to do this podcast. So I uh, thank Gomer, you very Gomer. much. Gomer, Luke says this to everybody, doesn't he? Best episode ever is why I want to do the podcast. I accept your love. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> he does. Thank you. He does. So you can find our. Could you guys hug me? Could, could you guys do like a, a Gomer Mike sandwich to fulfill all of my desires for male intimacy right now? Yep. Hey, I did <laughs> hug you when you left my office. I yes, that's true, and it was EIM compliant. See, see, see. 
So you, we can find, if people want to follow you, they can find you at Joey Jojo Shabadoo Jr. <laughs> on Twitter. You can find at Luke V. Luke V. and at Lay Evangelist. Facebook.com mm. slash Catching Foxes Podcast. Wait, 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 wait. That, that website wait. thing. The Twitter, the Twitter, the the thing. Luke. What? Uh, Lay Evangelist? No. Oh, shit. I got to find it real quick. Notifications. There's a, an award. In the meantime... If you struggle, please search in a positive manner, sex addiction recovery, and don't click any unfortunate links. Get yourself some help. There is hope. There is Amen. hope. Got it. I think I think I know what you are talking about. It's it's about it's about like nominating us yes. for the best podcast. Okay, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> After his profound Okay, have thing. have healing, same sex interaction, blah blah blah. Blah 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 blah. Best yes. anyways best Catholic websites dot com slash nominate. Best Catholic websites dot com slash nominate b-e-s-t-c-a-t-h-o-l-i-c w-e-b-s-i-t-e-s dot com slash nominate put our your name and then our website url is evangelist.com slash catching foxes damn it we need the world to know that catching foxes exists we don't want our jobs anymore Just so Luke and Gomer can have one more drink, do not put franciscan.edu as the best Catholic website. <laughs> Although they've done an overhaul recently. No, I'm just kidding. Um, ooh. <laughs> ooh, so nice. Okay, good deal. Thank you so much for coming on. And I'm excited that you're probably going to end up being a reoccurring guest. You're gonna, yeah, you're gonna, this has been awesome. You're going to be the podcast's gay best friend. Awesome. <laughs> do you, you like Arlene? <laughs> I've come so far. Oh. <laughs> Nailed it. 